Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. JD1, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your calls on how to do the same. Phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1855 450 noah That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Talai, your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour as we kick off another episode of the Ask Noah Show. James Comey released his book. And in it, he details his views on American encryption for its citizens and how it should be drastically less secure than that of the encryption that he and his colleagues at the FBI uses. Now, we're going to play the relevant audio for for you. We're going to give you the perfectly executed analysis of what Comey Daniels wrote in his new book titled A Higher Loyalty. Do you think that Americans should have encryption? Do you think that it's okay if the government can break that encryption? Let me know. Give me a call, 1-855-450-NOAH, or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. Now, like I said, we're here at Jupiter Broadcasting in the studios of JB1, and Chris is joining me. I think this is your fourth episode on the Ask Noah Show? I was thinking third, but I, it might be the Somewhere fourth episode. There. There's New York, and then you came on gave us a—well, a, I guess you did a short interview with us about um, your uh, your new show, Tech Talk. Today, I'm always here, Noah. Yeah, and then we did a show. Uh, yeah, actually, it was more than that because then we did a show live from scale. Yeah, and then we did a show live from the Ubuntu Summit here in Seattle, Washington. Okay, it seems like whenever we're doing like some big event, it's right. like an excuse to get me. Yeah, on. it always comes. So, and it's it's funny too because uh, it's it is Project City around here at the studio. It's absolutely nuts. Like every time I turn around, there's something else that we are working on. So we are redoing a bunch of machines here. Of course, they're being all reloaded with Linux. And uh, so we've got Kubuntu running uh, on on all of these machines. Yeah. We're setting them up for production use, and we're testing them. And then one room over from this, we are sending and setting up and specking out an entire production facility that we are going to use for the upcoming conference, Linux Fest Northwest, which runs 7th, 28th, and 29th of April. So if you or your family or friends are in the uh, Pacific Northwest area, we invite you to come out. We'll have more about that later on in the show again phone lines are open 1-855-450-6624 the email live at asknoahshow.com so i want to start we're going to go through uh this book a higher loyalty i've taken some audio now one of the things that chris and i were talking about before we went on the air it's really nice that nowadays a lot of these authors read their own audiobooks and so what that means is that I can we can show you the we can play it as audio format in what, their own words in their own words like this is James Comey talking and he's talking about encryption and I think what he's saying is pretty frightening actually um, and so we're gonna go through and 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 play the relevant audio and then give you our take on it before I became FBI director Edward Snowden a contractor at the National Security Agency stole a huge trove of classified data about the NSA's activities and then shared a very large amount of that data with the press one obvious result of this theft was that it dealt a devastating blow to our country's ability to collect intelligence. Another result was that in the year after his disclosures, bad actors across the world began moving their communications to devices and channels that were protected by strong encryption, thwarting government surveillance, including the kind of court-authorized electronic surveillance the FBI did. Okay, so notice how he presupposes that everybody that wants to use encryption is doing so because they're a terrorist. Notice how the presupposition there is every 
legitimate there's no legitimate reason for encryption it's all bad that's particularly true if you don't want the government to be able to break that encryption so personal encryption is for terrorists anybody who wants to keep their data private is a terrorist and so we're starting from a flawed premise in september 2014 after a year of watching our legal capabilities diminish i saw apple and google announce that they would be moving their mobile devices to default encryption. They announced it in such a way as to suggest, at least to my ears, that making devices immune to judicial orders was an important social value. So he prefaces the idea that the government can seek legal means to violate privacy. Now, I want to be clear as we go on through this program, I am not a proponent of illegal activity, and I am not suggesting that the Fourth Amendment should be or is a shroud for illegal activity. If you are engaged in an illegal activity and law enforcement goes through due process, obtains a warrant, executes on that warrant, they absolutely have that right. And that is not a violation of your privacy and that is not a violation of your Fourth Amendment right here in this country. But you have to understand something. Edward Snowden leaked those documents precisely because the Fourth Amendment was not being followed, precisely because that due process was not being followed. Edward Snowden leaked those documents because the government's very upset that encryption now exists outside the law. And to me, that's amusing because it's that very government that abused the power of the law when the data was protected only by the law. So they had their chance. They had full reign of the system and they blew it. And not only did they prove that they couldn't be trusted, but this is the result of the individual who wants to own their technology and their data. People have a natural inclination to go towards privacy. And now what we have, now those individuals are given the power to actually enforce that up to and including the government. Now, as we go on, these, uh, these clips get progressively um, more and more cringeworthy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so here's James Comey talking about the intelligence uh, uh, yeah, here we go. Talking about the intelligence of the tech types. I just couldn't understand how smart people could not see the social costs to stopping judges in appropriate cases from ordering access to electronic devices. Okay, how about the social costs of having your most private and intimate photos viewed by any employer, any any contractor of the federal government? It's not just a social cost either. It's it's not necessarily technologically possible. So he, this is the other part of the argument that he is missing is you can tell by the way he speaks that he believes it's a conflict of belief systems between law enforcement and Silicon Valley. Right. That Silicon Valley doesn't believe in building in black door, back doors because we don't trust government and so therefore we can't uh, build them a tool. Right. And but it's not that. It's, it's technically it may not be possible, especially in the context of open source and consider this show for a moment. There is lots of great software that you and I rely on every single day mm -hmm. that is developed by open source developers outside the jurisdiction of the FBI. Right. And we're going to get to that in a little bit because one of the problems is you can't, well, you can build a backdoor, but doing so undermines the very reason that a lot of this stuff exists in the first place. So he's talking about the social cost, which I think is definitely a conversation worth having. But in the background, I don't think he's giving enough credibility to the technical cost. So I'm glad we're going to talk about that. But you can see the framework in which he's working from here. This is a problem that is solvable by geeks. That's the way he sees us. People living in California have the capability of solving terrorism. And if we could just read their messages, 
we could get access to their plans and we could stop them before they harm somebody. So there, it, it's possible, you know, there's some uh, um, understandable, maybe even honorable motivation, you know, if you're being really charitable. Sure. But it, it seems ignorant, too, at the same well, time. Well, it also seems lazy. Short-sighted, too. It, all, it's, it also seems lazy. I want to be able to do my job and I don't want this... I don't want this burden of having to overcome this thing. Why can't I just have a master reset all password? Why can't that be a thing? It's technically possible. Yes. Okay. Yes. Why can't I have that? Right. I want to know about the social implications of corporations like Microsoft who have made billions of dollars on the backs of hardworking Americans only to betray the trust of those very people that funded their success and work behind the scenes with the government to fund a program like prison that allowed Microsoft and other companies to sell private data to the government. How about that, Comey Daniels? <laughs> I, I, you know, th this this is fundamentally what bothers me is I feel like he tries to oversimplify things, and oversimplify the discussion, and do so in a way that is demeaning and derogatory towards people that actually care about privacy. I expressed my frustration with the move to default encryption by saying, I am a huge believer in the rule of law, but I also believe that no one in this country is beyond the law. What concerns me about this is companies marketing something expressly to allow people to place themselves beyond the law. And this is Comey's fundamental misunderstanding of what encryption is, who it's for, who uses it, and why it came to such prominence. I would bet this isn't his... I bet he's not alone. What he is representing here is probably a belief system that a lot of the FBI shares. And perhaps that's what makes this analysis that you're doing relevant is... While Comey may be out and a private citizen now, this is very likely the thinking that remains within the Bureau and the course of action they're very likely to pursue. Absolutely. Uh, abs and, and government at large, not just the FBI. All of these corporations like Google, like Apple, they were all happy to play ball with the government until the government spilled the beans, so to speak. And at that point, what choice do they have other than to cover their rear end? Because you have their customer base is very upset that these companies were not taking their privacy seriously. And so they, they they pressured these companies into taking, at least from what appears to the outside, to be meaningful action to change the narrative around that situation. Now, personally, I wouldn't trust any of these companies or any of the encryption put into place by Apple, by Google, or by Microsoft. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. Because with enough legal pressure and enough social pressure, a lot of these companies are, in fact, I think, going to going to cave. I want to go to the phones, 888-450-6624, or the email live at asknoahshow.com. Chaz is calling from New York. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, and it sounds like Chris is there as well, so how hey, you guys Chaz. doing? He is. Yeah, we're doing great. How about you? Awesome. Um, first off, let me go ahead and apologize. I meant to uh, have the terminal output for my question ready for you before I uh, ran off to work, and I forgot to run the commands before I okay. left. So That's fine. But uh, I'll give you the SparkNotes version. Um, as you know, I hopped back on the Solus train, and mm -hmm. I'm running uh, the Budgie version. And uh, I have FireJail installed on that. Okay. And one of the things I used to be able to do when I was running Arch was I could run a command called sudo firecfg, and it would automatically run, it would automatically create all the uh, configurations needed to automatically run um Fire jail whenever I opened a program that used it. Okay. Um, it's acting kind of weird in Solus. Uh, what I'm getting is um, if I run that command in the terminal, it'll look like 
uh, it's creating all those configurations. And then I'll get a message at the end of the terminal output saying that I shouldn't be running this command with sudo. And then mm. that kind of creates a who's on first situation yes. where I try to run just fire cfg, and it informs right. me, well, you need to run you sudo fire fg yeah. if you want sure. that to work. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, and and to be honest with you, Chad, and I, I don't have a great answer for you, but what what I, what I will you what I will say is just that this is one of those situations where the support infrastructure that exists around Solus is, as you're probably finding, is just thank you very much for sending me a Slack message right now, uh, it, um, is uh, is drastically less than what you would get on uh, something like Ubuntu proper or or the Fedoras or or even the Arches of the world, and um, and so this is this is why I always caution people about about using some of these distros. Is one is their ability to obviously track all of these changes from all these various products are somewhat limited, but also again the support infrastructure around it is limited. Um, if I remember right, your but you have an interesting take on on using Solus, right? Because it's your uh, it's your family members that, that you've started to move over to this, and you wanted a, a consistent workflow across the across the board, yeah. Um, well, it's uh, I was just kind of interested in Solus on the basis um, uh, of it's a well, it's an interesting distro and. Uh, it's very minimalist and does everything I need. Um, sure. Everybody else in my family I've put on Ubuntu Mate. Um, oh, you did. Just for the reasons that we've talked about in the past. Um, yeah. uh, the, you know, just the fact that there's going to be more uh, software support and more support in general for it. Um, I know my dad has at least one machine that I set him up with Solus uh, for his business. Um, but I just... Uh, I just ran Solus because I was interested in it, and um, it seemed like uh, Jupiter Broadcasting was uh, going on the anti-gnome kick for uh, around that time. You know, but, and uh, I, I'll give chance. I'll give Chris am, a chance to res- to respond to that. But I, I, I somewhat, I, I feel like that might be a, a maybe just a, a little bit of a mischaracterization. Anti-gnome? Yeah, I still like gnome. I just don't. I don't uh, particularly have it in use anymore well I, th- I think i mean so to be fair as far as using the usage of gnome is it fair is it a fair assessment to say that you like gnome more than almost any other desktop but it ran into some certain limitations that prevented you from continuing yeah uh, and and actually i think that's why Chaz is probably trying out solus budgie edition because you get a minimal gtk desktop and you still get to use all your favorite gtk applications yeah. but it's not gnome shell Right, and so it doesn't have some of those same technical challenges. Sure. Uh, so that's the appeal to it. Uh, and I, you know, Chaz, if you checked out the Ubuntu Budgie project, uh, that might be a route where FireJail would still work, uh, but you could also enjoy Budgie. And I happen to know a couple of different developers that are working on that project, and they are really putting a lot of effort and thought into Ubuntu Budgie. I think it maybe gets overlooked by a lot of people. Sure. But it's it's a surprising flavor of Ubuntu. And your support infrastructure then goes transitions to the Ubuntu base. Exactly. And, you know, whenever you're using an application that's uh, a little a little magic, a little wizard that uh, does a few things for you automatically, the developers are always going to have to make some assumptions about the underlying system that it's configuring. And uh, in this particular case, I agree with Noah. I, I'm a big proponent of people trying out Solus, too. I think it's a really fun distro, and I think Ike and team have some great ideas in it. But if you want to run an application that's going to run over your file system and make config changes or work with, a, you know, work at isolating applications and that you want something the developers are, are going to be familiar with for for something to work well, and and that's definitely going to be something like Ubuntu. Does that answer your? I, I know it's not really an answer to your question, but does I give you something to go off of anyway? No, you definitely did. Yeah, um, uh, I mean the entire Ubuntu 
ecosystem was going to get a look anyway when uh, 1804 released, if for no other reason than I'm interested to see how the official return to uh, Gnome happens for them. And obviously, everybody in my family is going to need Matei upgrades. But sure. uh, I haven't looked a whole lot at uh, Ubuntu Budgie yet, but I definitely keep one eye on it. And maybe that's the way to go. I don't know yet. Yeah, I, I would say that it probably is. I would give it a shot and see what you think. And then please give me a call back and let me know because I'd be interested in what you think about it. Um, it, it yeah, I, 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 you know, and I'd be remiss if I didn't just say, man, I've been happy with KDE. Man, I've been happy with Plasma. Yeah. I mean, especially after the all the machines we've nuked and paved this last week and we've put all of Plasma on all of them. All doing various different things. Including you some know, laptops. You know, fairly drastically different things, I, I might add. Um and, and to a certain degree, it's channeling my inner Windows user. Because going back to this desktop layout where I've got all these icons and I have folders and stuff and I can arrange on the desktop, and I know that there's, there are two very widely different camps. So there's half the people are going to tell me that's just not something to do, and the other half the people are going to tell me that's a great way to work. But the reality is just that is, that's what you get when you have, as a young child, growing up in the Windows 95, Windows, well, 3.1, 95, 98, and, you know, in the XP area. Even though there were some problems with that, I mean, that's kind of where I wound up. I, I look at it right now as uh, Plasma 5 is uh, on a clear trajectory. It's been getting, it was a, you know, Plasma 5 was a big deal. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal. And it's just been getting progressively better and better and better. And that's really what I need is I just need to see that the train's going in the right direction, uh, that the train has options that are all viable. That's kind of what uh, uh, finally really made me pull back from GNOME is, I realize that some of the challenges they're facing are just deep technical issues that right. they're going to have to solve in GNOME 4. Yeah. And I just, I, I wish them the best, and I really look forward to them doing it. Yeah. I just don't have, I just, I, I have other things I You can't bank on. your business on that yeah, while exactly. we make that change. Yeah, and, of course. And while Plasma is sort of in the other position where they're reaping the benefits of a really smart retooling they did uh, a couple, of, a few years ago now. And it's just paid off on continuous yeah. improvements and polish and iterations. And now they're offering long-term support additions. And it's just it's right up my alley for production workstations. Yeah, it really, it really feels like a really polished machine. And I, I think uh, as, as I go back to Grand Forks, one of the things I know we're, that's coming up in a meeting at UltaSpeed is we're having discussions on what is going to be the the new uh, default desktop that yeah. we or, well, the new operating system that we install by default. You know, but for better or for worse, too, you could come up with an UltaSpeed Plasma setup. Because one of the things about Plasma is you could make that thing look like Unity 7 if you yeah, wanted. Yeah, right. You know, you can make it look exactly like Windows 7 right. to a degree if you and want. And there, there are people on the internet have exact tutorials on, on YouTube that show you how yeah. to do that. You so. could come up with an, a standard AltaSpeed desktop. Yeah. Yeah, we really, yeah, we could. Wow, that would be really cool. I want to look into that. Again, phones 1-855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. I want to go to the uh, mumble room just for a moment. Um, JJ, are you there? Uh, JJ is going to join us here momentarily in the mumble room. He, um, he 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 has some uh, he has some ideas on the encryption and and where we're going. I guess we'll go back to the phones. Take the second phone call here as it comes in. Um, did you know that you can send an email to live at asknoahshow.com or you can tweet the show at asknoahshow. That's the way to interact with us all throughout the show. And uh, of course, we have our interactive chat room. You can join jbmlive.tv there. You'll see the chat room right on the screen. You can participate. If you want to be a part of the Mumble Room, you can join that at mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org. Just change the ending port number to four. There's probably a better way to say that in here. I haven't figured out what it is yet. Yeah, um, maybe not. I, well, you know what you can do here. I tell you what, I figured it out. Mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org. Visit that in the website, and it yeah. will give you an exact layout on how to on the fifteen on the simple seventy-one steps to configure Mumble and get on the air. You know, honestly, um, you could just pick up the phone and. 
call in. That seems to be the easiest. It is. Yeah. yeah. And, I've, you know, it's funny, too. We've taken calls from people. There's a guy I was talking to uh, just a couple of weeks ago that said, you know, I never get a chance to catch a show live. But uh, I had heard it and I listened to it on the on the podcast reruns. Of course, you can download it. Podcast at asnoashow.com. And um, he said, you know, I, I listen to it on the I, I don't listen. I can't listen to it on the road um, because I don't have any data service. But I just pick up the phone and called in and I've asked you a couple of questions. And I said, I, I appreciate that. So if you want to do that, 855-450-6624. Peter called us uh, from North Dakota. Hey, from North Dakota. Hey, Peter, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey. Um, I have a question about uh, mounting uh, an encrypted HFS drive on Linux. Okay. Um, wow, I was, that's I'm a challenge. not sure what, how to do that. Cause you can mount like a normal just HFS drive, but when it's encrypted... Sure. Now, it are won't you trying mount. to actually access an encrypted DMG? I mean, a lot of times when you're using encryption on macOS, I, I'm not super familiar with it, but my understanding is it, it will create a DMG volume. So there's a couple of different types of encryption with HFS. Is it an actual encrypted HFS partition, or is it an HFS formatted DMG? Uh, this is like taking like a drive out of a Mac computer, and yeah. then we're trying to back... Files so the off of itself, it. essentially. Okay. Unfortunately, Peter, you're not going to be able to do that. You can't actually mount an HFS Plus encrypted partition um, in Linux because it's a proprietary format. So Crypt Loop and Loop AES are not going to be able to decrypt that drive. Um, and the mount uh, command isn't going to understand the encryption or the format. So unfortunately, there is absolutely no way to do that. What you'd have to do is put it back into a Mac, copy that data off into a, into a, a, a drive format that can be either... Well, well you can read... HFS drives on Linux, mm -hmm. just not encrypted ones. Mm -hmm. You won't be able to write to it, but you could go to an intermediary right. form, uh, you know, drive format like NTFS, and uh, and move the data over that way. Yeah, yeah. There and there are some commercial HFS Plus reading applications. It may be worth doing a googling to see if any of those support encryption. But this is a this is a challenge. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and I, I, it's it's interesting because it's it's funny how much closer under the hood macOS and Linux are, and yet how much more difficult it is to go between macOS and Linux as mm -hmm. opposed to you know Windows. Even the even well, I guess not encryption, but uh, any of the Windows yeah. stuff. I mean, NTFS, you just plug I, and play. I think the clear the clearly the burden is on Apple in this case. Uh, you, one thing you can't ding Linux for is its lack of support for different file systems. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if Apple wanted to uh, yeah. come up with a clever way to uh, support Extended 4 on macOS, something tells me they could probably figure it out. There are ways to do it using open source software. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also wonder if maybe uh, you if you could take advantage of it's an older Mac of things like target disk mode. So if you're trying to recover from a Mac failure, target disk mode may be something you could look into that would let you mount that HFS Plus as a external FireWire drive, for example. And then maybe yeah. you could then get access to it that way. But... Uh, not not via Linux. Does that help you, Peter? I mean, does, does that at least does that help you at least from the standpoint that you're not banging your head on the desk? Yeah. Okay. Well, well I'm glad we can offer something. Yeah, I, I'm, gl I'm glad we can. I'm glad we can get you that yeah, far. That's I'm a frustrating process. Sorry, I don't have a a, a, a more positive answer for you, but mm -hmm. it just uh, anytime you're you're dealing with HFS, it's funny too because I had a device. It was a really cool thing. It was um, 
uh, a small little uh, uncompressed ProRes recorder, hardware-based recorder that you clip on the back of a camera, mm. um, but the drive was formatted in, in, in HFS. Yeah. And so uh, reading was challenging enough, but there was ever, never any way to write back to the drive, and that yeah. was always frustrating. Yep. Again, phones open this hour, one 855 noah That's 855-450-6624, or send an email to live at com. Steve calls us from Boston. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. If I can get the button to go, there we go. Hey, Steve. Hey, Noah, what's up? Hey, how, how can I help? Um, uh, I have a home server I set up about a year ago. Its original purpose was to be a Plex server. I uh, was early to adopt the getting rid of cable, and I bought TiVos that had built-in Plex support, so I figured I'd replace on-demand with it. Okay. Um, fast forward about a year, year and a half, um, it's now also backing up my uh, tablets and phones. Um, it syncs random electronic things. It's become a pie hole. And I'm realizing that I'm relying on it for a lot more than its intended purpose. Yes, yes. Um, I recently put a NextCloud installation on it to, you know, decloud as much as I can. Yep. And the latest thing I've tried to do, which I heard about on the show, was uh, that uh, Ampash, the audio server. I wanted to get rid of all Pandora-type things. Yep. Um, had some trouble getting it running. Uh, I don't know if it's the NextCloud instance also being on port 80, but what I'm noticing, I'd call myself pretty intermediate. Um but the split, basically, I'm having issues getting Ampash going. But my, my thing is, it runs Debian stable. Uh-huh. And I've had no real issues with it. But the last couple years, as I, I, I call myself intermediate, but I do have some trouble sometimes. Sometimes I, you know, do stupid things and blindly follow tutorials. Usually I won't do too much if I'm not understanding what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But the divide between uh, Ubuntu and Debian is becoming more pronounced the last couple years. Sure. And with Debian having a lot less people out there than Ubuntu does, that's getting tricky for support sometimes. So what I'm wondering, yeah. now that this thing has kind of, not outgrown me, but like I said, it's actually starting to become more important than just letting my kid watch movies. Right. Should I go with something a little bit more mainstream with the wider user base, like Ubuntu or maybe Scent, um, oh. as that divide further widens for just oh, long-term no. support, usability? What are the specifications of this box? How old is it? It's only about a year, and I, I built it fresh. It was originally on an old desktop, and now it's just shy of a gaming rig. It's, uh, it's an okay, AMD, okay. though. Um, no, that's fine. Here's, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, the, but it's newer. The, 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 what I would okay. suggest, hands down, is virtualization. I mean, hands down, virtualize this thing okay. because, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to have a link for you in the show notes. It's a, it's a guide. It, it's a one, two, three, four, five commands. You can copy and paste, and you'll have a virtual server. And once you have a virtual server, what you're going to be able to do, uh, Steve, is you will be able to install an operating system specific for each one of these tasks. So if this particular software really likes the Ubuntu, you can install it on Ubuntu. If this one wants Debian, you can yeah. install it on Debian. Yeah. You know, and then there's I have a server and I just call it the network services appliance. And basically it runs my DNS, DHCP, stuff like that. And that's yeah. just running on a little CentOS box yeah. with like 300 megs of RAM. Yeah, that's I, I, I can't say that's not a bad way to go. Virtualization is nice too because then it's easy for backup. It's easy to backup the VM image. So you just have the complete backup of the machine so you need to move it to other hardware you just load up new hardware install the virtualizer copy the machine images over and boot them up mm-hmm. that's great for flexibility but unfortunately you're both uh, I mean I hate to be this guy <laughs> doing it the wrong way now uh, and I, I you know it's, Steve it's up to you because I, I would know his suggestions actually 100% but the thing is is you, you really could just get away with a super minimal Ubuntu 1804 base say in a couple of months and just do everything through Docker 
Now the oh uh, yeah the, sure the, the thing is is this is where all the community documentation the community yep. guides are and there's Docker Hub where you can say you wanted to go install a Plex server there's there are Plex Docker servers that have Plex Pass that are running on a minimal Debian like tiny machine inside the container mm -hmm. and it's one command to have a download set up and run on your machine yes. and then you can sit there and re-update the base OS for as long as you want and it could be whatever OS you're most comfortable with as long as it supports Docker. No, no, I don't know if I would do it personally. I might do Noah's approach. But that's definitely the most modern, most community momentum approach. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that um, that, that he would ever run into an issue where uh, a given project maybe doesn't have a Docker image? Yeah, well, ah, boy. I mean, yeah, I suppose. I mean, anything, though, that's even semi-well-known now, it's really the, it's, it's, it's become the lazy way for software developers to install software on Linux. And that means because software developers are the one making it, that's how it's coming out. So it's, it's we all benefit, yeah. but it's really for lazy software developers. And um, the world now is uh, their oyster. The thing is, is I've done this to a degree with quite a bit of success because as long as you separate the data out, so all yes. your media is on a storage that's on a NAS, yeah, yeah, right. Then you know you can you can use different Docker images. You can have a different experimentation. So I uh, for actually this exact use have MB and Docker on, I mean MB and Plex on the same machine in Docker. You could do it with virtualization too, but there's less overhead. Yeah, that's true. Although I, I will tell you, LibVirtD, man, it is close to metal. I mean, yeah. it is darn close yeah, to it's, metal. It's also well supported, well documented. So those are both really good ways to go. You know, the other thing I really like about the virtualization route is there are times where I will, I have started, and, and it sounds, uh, Steve, like this is kind of what you're doing too. You start out small and then you inadvertently grow and you didn't really expect to get to where you wound up. So it's like, okay, I'm going to start with this, you know, media server. Well, now I want to do a media server and I want to do a, you know, maybe I want to do a, a free PBX uh, appliance and I want to have VoIP phones. Okay, that's it. And I think this goes back to my Docker example. That's something you're not going to be able to do, you know, inside of that Docker type containerization. It is something you'd be able to do with the virtualization. Or here's a third option for you. This just came to me as I'm talking, as I'm talking through this with you, Steve. Maybe you do a hybrid approach between Chris and I. Maybe you virtualize the thing and then in these virtual instances you run Docker containers and you get almost the best of both worlds. Any, any of that sound good to you? Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's uh, that actually <clears throat> makes a lot of sense for things like multiple web servers, like between the Pi Hole, Nextcloud, and then if I did a Amp Ash instance, that that does seem like a really good. I never even considered that. So, and it's interesting because you bring up the Pi Hole, and we've we've done it, we've done it, we talked about it a little bit. We haven't dug into it real deep, but the interesting thing about the Pi Hole is it started out on a Raspberry Pi. Mm -hmm. But I recently, as of two weeks ago, yep. had a client came up to me and they said, "Could you set this Pi Hole thing up?" for 500 users. Now, there's no way in the world of Raspberry <laughs> Pi, I'm putting a network-grade appliance on, on a Raspberry, no way, right? But the Pi Hole code is written into a CentOS repo, so I can run a Pi Hole on a CentOS box. Now, you give me a Xeon with 16 gigs of RAM and an SSD and two, and, you know, and two bonded 10 gig NICs, yeah, sure, now we can put 500 users through that thing, oh, no yeah. problem. Yeah. And so it's running. And the great thing is like they can log into the web interface, and boom, right there they can see all these ads are getting stripped out of their organization. It also is logging all those DNS requests mm -hmm. and putting them into a nice little pie graph so the, you know, the, the, the you know, management can go in and say, here's how yeah. many people are looking at you. YouTube. I'm tempted to do it just to save bandwidth. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, geez. For you at right? the RV, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that's why I'm tempted to do Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, thanks, Steve, for kicking off an entire discussion yeah. on home servers. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a great project. And <laughs> Thank gonna, you, guys. You're going to yeah, pick up some it. good skills. Just whatever, whatever, Whichever direction you go, you're going to pick up some good skills with that because that's a good uh, either virtualization or containerization 
is a good skill set to have right now. Yeah, we appreciate the call. Again, one 855 450 No, that's 855-450-6624, or send an email to live at Now, I want to, uh, let's see, where do we live off? We left off with Cut 5. Let's go back to Cut 5, our, our good friend uh, James oh, yeah. Comey. Yeah, Mr. James. The leaders of tech companies don't see the darkness the FBI sees. Our days are dominated by the hunt for people planning terrorist attacks, hurting children, and engaging in organized crime. We see humankind at its most depraved day in and day out. Horrific, unthinkable acts are what the men and women of the FBI live, breathe, and try to stop. I found it appalling that the tech types couldn't see this. I would frequently joke with the FBI going dark team assigned to seek solutions. Of course the Silicon Valley types don't see the darkness. They live where it's sunny all the time and everybody is rich and smart. Theirs was a world where technology made human connections and relationships stronger. Who doesn't love sharing cat gifts with grandma? Or ordering coffee on your app so it's ready when you walk into the Starbucks. Okay, let me help you with this, Comey Daniels. Nobody is worried about encryption for their cat gifts. Okay, we're not talking about two-factor authentication and private-generated keys for ordering our Starbucks coffee. We're talking about encrypting messages that we send between our family and friends. We're talking about sensitive information that we send to websites. Sensitive information that we store on servers, our emails, our photos. And to, I guess to a certain degree, I take that back. I take that back. We are talking about encryption for gifts with grandma because encryption shouldn't just be for sensitive data. It should be for everything, mm -hmm. and it should be encryption by default. Mm -hmm. You know, it's also verification, too. Encryption uh, to is a also, certain degree, sure, yeah. It's, it's identity verification, which is also extremely important, especially these days with uh, identity fraud and all kinds of different, quote-unquote, cyber attack methods. Right. Identity is super important. You know, and part of it is, I, I guess I don't even entirely understand where this guy's – so, I mean, basically what he's telling me is the reason that the government needs this sweeping power to circumvent encryption is because when somebody acts outside of the law, then the government needs the ability to pull the string, so to speak, pull the plug. And But does that work both ways? Like, do, so – can Obviously we not, as private no. citizens, can we get access to all of the no. encryption keys used for the FBI and no. CIA systems? No, of course not. Why not? Because because then people would have access to uncover all of the sensitive information without any due process? Oh, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. We'll only, we'll wait for due process. We're only going to use these keys. We're only going to use this method. If and only if a judge signs off on it, then we'll use the keys. Hmm. Well, what's to stop you from using the keys just deciding you don't want to wait for the warrant? Hmm. Well, like the NSA did? Like uh, Prism hmm. did. Hmm. This man is sickening. And this idea that there is this separation between the government and you people, you plebes in your silly little private data and silly little private you know, encryption in your emails and your pictures. Who, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you need encryption, that you need to protect your sensitive data? Don't you know we're the government and we know best for you? Do you know that our mission and our objectives, our central planning is more important than your silly little internet privacy? I, this guy does not understand encryption. He does not understand privacy. And despite him saying it over and over and over and over again, this guy doesn't understand the law. Because if he <laughs> did, he would understand yeah. that the NSA broke the law, that the CIA broke the law, and that people, when they went out of their way to prove that these people were breaking the law, nothing happened. Who got arrested? There's an obvious bias here, too. You know, there's both sides that are biased, but there's an obvious bias on his part. Because he's lazy? No, no, the bias, there's a bias that he's seen everything from the evil side. You know, everything's yeah. from the dark side. So, of course, Silicon Valley, all they, get, all they see is sunshine. Yeah, and he does admit that. He says, I mean, I think he says something to the effect of, uh, uh, you know, we, we tend to go too far the other direction. But 
I, 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 I don't understand how somebody can stand there and make a point in 2018 about wanting to circumvent encryption for the point of respecting the law when the very essence of encryption crept into the public domain because that respect for the law wasn't being followed. I mean, that's... Yeah, in in indeed, yeah. And also, this is bigger than the law. You know, this is a technological challenge that uh, is is bigger than the United States. It's bigger than the law. It's it's bigger than one one set or one group's opinions. I want to play another clip. Because both sides are biased by our places in the world, I thought it critical that the resolution shouldn't be dictated by either Apple or the FBI. The American people should decide how they want to live and govern themselves. But what exactly that means as a practical matter is an incredibly hard question to answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. And no, it's not complicated. We have decided. You can turn encryption off on your phone. You can turn encryption off on your email. You can turn encryption off on your computer. This is not difficult at all. We have decided as a people. We have, the American citizens have decided. See, this is his coded way of trying to say, the FBI doesn't need to decide. We'll send it to Congress. And Congress can vote on legislation. That won't affect them, by the way. What can vote on legislation and, because their, their emails will be encrypted through the government. So they're not going to be affected by this. Mm. But he's trying to pawn it off and say, well, we'll pass a law. You know, and, and, and that is almost more insidious because it's like he's trying to get his way without actually coming in and admitting that he's getting his way. He's trying to say this is what the American people want. There is no American citizen out there that is that, that wants to voluntarily surrender their privacy. And if they did, then those that, that individual is not standing in the way of what Mr. Comey is trying to achieve. If somebody wants to go and unlock their phone and hand it to him or anyone else at the FBI, be my guest. You want to unlock your emails and send co copies of your private key to the FBI? Knock yourself out. I couldn't care less. I just want the ability to encrypt my own yeah. data. There's lots of people when given the choice, they don't use a passcode on their phone. They don't use encryption. There's tons of, I would say, the vast, vast, vast majority uh, are not. It, it's just the few that are, and generally it's the technically elite or those that are trying to hide something. And I think the direction needs to be a wider adoption of encryption, not a reduction in encryption. That's the irony of all of this. Right, right. The bargain at the heart of our government has always been that privacy matters enormously, but it must yield when, with appropriate evidence and oversight, the government needs to see into private spaces to protect the community. And that's the, and this is the fundamental thing that James and I disagree on, because we don't have appropriate evidence. We don't have appropriate oversight. We have large sweeping portions of the government that have not only proven themselves to be untrustworthy, but have proven themselves to be outside the reach of the law. And to that end, I'd like you to name one person from the NSA, the CIA, or the firm that Edward Snowden worked at, other than Edward Snowden, who simply exposed all of these things, that was arrested for violating the privacy of, of hundreds of millions of Americans at alarming levels. Who, who is in jail right now because of that? Which <laughs> Most of these people didn't even lose their job. Uh, you know, a lot of these people probably got a pay raise. It, it, the bottom line is, is encryption is here to stay, and no amount of Comey's, no amount of politics can put this genie back in the bottle. Mm. And we're going to have a link for you in the show notes that outlines for you exactly what happened in the San Bernardino shooting case, because I, I've been having debates this week with a lot of very intelligent people. A lot of them disagree with me on this, but I would argue that you can't trust Google. I would argue that you can't trust Apple. I would argue that you can't trust Microsoft, even if these companies are shipping devices with encryption on by default, because encryption does not live inside of a box. Encryption is not a binary on or off thing. Yes, in this case, Apple didn't cave. But what the government was asking Apple to do, essentially, was to create a custom ROM that could then be pushed to the phone in question 
And because the phone's update mechanism will automatically install and begin running a ROM that has the key signed by Apple, it is technically possible for Apple to circumvent their own security system. And that is what the government was asking Apple to do. And this time they refused. This time Apple held firm, and I, th I think the public had a lot of backing for them. I think the vast majority of American citizens agreed with Apple's decision. But given enough time, given enough money, you know, put enough political pressure on these people, and these companies are going to cave. You know, I'll give you an example. Because uh, I've covered, you mentioned Tech Talk mm -hmm. today earlier. I've been covering the story on Tech Talk today since it, uh, the conception of the show, and that is Microsoft was fighting a federal drug case out of New York that was Microsoft versus the U.S. federal government, and the federal government wanted access to a user's data in Dublin, a Microsoft user in Dublin. The Microsoft refused. They said, no, uh, we're not going to give you that data. You don't have jurisdiction in mm -hmm. Ireland. Mm -hmm. And uh, they went to court. Uh, Microsoft won some battles. The federal court, the federal government won some battles in court. And it actually made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. Microsoft bought this sucker all the way to the Supreme Court. And then on March 26, Congress passed the Cloud Act. And the Cloud Act just rewrote the law and said that companies that are in the U.S. must give access to the U.S. government mm -hmm. under federal investigations to data stored in other countries. And as soon as they made that law... It's open and shut. Microsoft withdrew their fight, their mm -hmm. their four-year-long fight. Mm -hmm. they, they went all the way to the Supreme Court that would have set precedence that could have been a huge win if Microsoft was right. successful. Mm -hmm. They said, okay, well, this case, they literally said this case is no longer relevant except for historical note. And uh, they're handing over the data. And what are, and, and to be fair, what do you expect Microsoft they to gotta, do? they got to run legally in this country, right? right? And, and pressure Anybody, from the Red government... Hat would have to do the same thing in that situation. Exactly. I'm just going to make my next point. Pressure... Pressure at that level from government has the ability to crush your business regardless of the size. Because the reality is that Microsoft, it, it, the only thing that Microsoft really has to fear, the only entity larger than, the yeah. only entity That's larger than Microsoft is uh, the, the U.S. government. And yeah. so their ability to put crushing pressure on top of, of, of Microsoft is, is horrible. And so that's one of those things that, and like you said, it could apply to Red Hat. I, I guess what the only response I have, the only good news is the only reason that Red Hat may cave as a company, but the encryption algorithms, the encryption methods, and the software that Red Hat uses on their software are not fundamentally under their control. And so Linux and the Linux community is not going to cave. One, because many of them exist outside, entirely outside the reach of the U.S. government, because these projects may not even be based in the U.S. They might not even have a presence in the U.S. And two, because there's no one person to come after. So the code is open. And so if you think that you can find a weak door, go ahead and knock on it. Now, we're going to put that door back up, and we're going to put that door back up better. And really, then we're probably going to thank you because you've done us a favor. You've stress tested the system. But this idiotic idea that law-abiding citizens are just going to voluntarily forfeit their privacy so that you can, uh, you know, chase after the boogeyman is idiotic. And I'll give you a, a recent example of where this has actually played out. One of my favorite entities, and I've been using them for years, Private Internet Access, and we have a link on the Ask Noah Show dashboard where we can get some credit if you go over to AskNoahShow.com and click on it to, use, to sign up for their service. Mm. It's dirt cheap, just a couple of bucks a year. And what they do is they give you a VPN... Uh, a service that can exit pretty much anywhere in the world. Now, you can use it for simple things like just I'm going to browse Netflix or I'm going to, you know, movies that aren't available in my country and stuff like that. But it has gone to court and it has been tried and proven. 
they come to private internet access and they say, we know that uh, somebody and you're using your service using this IP address at this time uh, access some bad sites and we want to know who that is. And they go, yeah, sure, um, not a problem. Uh, we'll get all those logs right over to you. And the guy opens up a, a gedit and he saves it as logs.txt and hands it to him and he says, this is just a blank text document. He goes, that's the only log we have. <laughs> no, you don't understand. We want to know who was using this IP. I couldn't tell you. Well, we want all the logs. That's all the logs right there in that blank text. They don't keep logs. And the government has come in and they have requisitioned servers and taken them and tried to do forensic investigation and all of this stuff. The logs simply don't exist. I think we got to build more systems from the ground up not to store data. Like well, that has to be just built in. Store, store data, but, On users. but you have to think about it. So the system at some point is, a, it may not write that to disk, but it is aware of who's logged, of in. Who's logged in, right? And so it, 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 to a certain degree, if the encryption algorithm to authenticate a user and all of that stuff was weak, uh, it would still fall apart. So there are, and all of that stuff is open source. That's kind of why I bring it up. These kind of software systems and these kind of algorithms that have been put in place employed by companies that are based here in the U.S. or operate in the U.S., as long as they're utilizing open source, it seems, at least to the extent that we know today, that that stands up in court. And that they're, and they, then the government just backs off and they go, well, I guess there's just nothing we can do about that particular company. And I think that's where we're going to wind up as, you know, as Linux users. Yeah, and I suppose that'll mean some of those companies might miss out on certain types of business, but uh, boy, that sure get my business. I want to go to the phones, 1-855-450-NOAH, that's 855-450-6624, the email, live at asknoahshow.com. James is calling from Idaho. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Yeah, you know, I was just chiming in, not really a question, but what people don't understand is our government's always wanted and working on to monitor you anywhere and everywhere and then turn around and arrest you for what you just did when they monitored you to protect you. Right. Because uh, right. my family is all um, DOD and CIA and all that stuff. Oh, really? So, so you have I, some first-hand experience with yeah. this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, for example, uh, for years until my uncle passed, this phone call, that's why I'm paranoid, the phone calls, was monitored legally but illegally. Not, <laughs> it's hard to explain, legally by the CIA because they can do whatever they want and not legally by the uh, FBI because they couldn't get the warrant. That's uh, that's not good. Uh, you know, the, uh, more or less, yeah, I, I guess... <laughs> I guess your point is well taken, though. But what I guess what what is what is frustrating with me, and if you don't walk away from the show with anything else, I guess what I'd like you to understand is that it is a one-way street. The government, the U.S. government, continually seeks to destroy private citizens' ability to protect their own data while simultaneously and at the same time slapping you across the face and abusing the privilege, the very law and privilege that they claim that they're trying to uphold. Yeah. And that is frustrating I to me. I also take his point that you can have uh, one department or one uh, division of the government that uh, is following one set of rules and another division that's following another set of rules. And uh, one's perfectly fine not being able to use that stuff in court. You know, I think... This is a this is a conversation that is going to be really awkward in open source for the next few years because it's going to be a lot of people that are coming at it from different perspectives. Some people are going to be on the side of James Comey on this mm -hmm. in our in our community. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to have a very state heavy perspective on this. Some people are going to have a very uh, you know. I don't know, Spain heavy. Uh, I'm, focus you know, on I'm this. fine if if the government came out tomorrow and said we have a new tool um, that uh, that can break this encryption. And we want to we want to deploy that tool against encryption. 
uh, with a warrant, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. If I was the uh, federal government, I think I'd be putting all this time and energy into quantum computing. Well, yeah, that, that's what I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, if you have, <laughs> you have something that can theoretically be a zero or a one and you can do that, uh, sure, if the technology exists and they can do it on a fair playing ground, I guess that's what I'm, I guess really that's what I'm getting at. If they can beat me in a chess match fair and square, I'm fine with that. What I'm not fine with them is them rigging the game from the beginning and then we all pretend like we have encryption, but it's not really encryption. It's kind of like back in the old Windows NT days where it would have the, uh, where it have the username and the password, but as long as the domain controller wasn't there, you could just press OK and it would bypass the uh, the the login so you could get access to the local machine. Yeah. You just didn't have network credentials. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. It's like yep. I, I, I put a sign up on the door that says, please do not come in because we don't want you to have actual locks on the door. That's that's rigging the system. There's a uh, device right now called the Gray Key, and you can buy it for $15,000. You can only use yes. it one place. It's geolocated, and yep. it has to have an internet connection. Or you can spend $30,000, and you can use it anywhere you want with unlimited uh, tries. And Unlocking it, the iPhone, right? And it has two lightning ports that mm -hmm. come out of it, and you plug in two iPhones, and it uses some kind of exploit in the OS. And in the background, it starts to crack the password. Right. And it avoids that timeout functionality that Apple's built into the OS mm -hmm. for passcode attempts. And it just cracks it, and eventually the phone just unlocks. I'm fine with that. I'm yeah. fine. I'm, I'm completely fine with that. Yeah. And I'm glad that wh whatever company it is that's making that, because I'm assuming it's not a government entity. I'm assuming yeah. it's some private thing. Yeah. I'm. I hope they're making a lot of money off of it. Oh, they are. Yeah. So good. They're for selling them. a bunch of them so, right now. So good for them. But you know what? Here's what happens in a free market. Apple is eventually going to find that exploit, and yes. then they're going to plug it. Right. And then the fifteen thousand dollar device or thirty whatever it is wasted. Yeah, it becomes useless. It's a paperweight. And then we got Then we start the cycle over well, this again. This is where I was going. Is then I think that's when this conversation kicks back up again. So we are in the lull right now because they have. A workaround. Mm -hmm. This just is taking a back seat because they can spend thirty thousand dollars and they can fix the problem. Sure. Yeah. No, I completely agree. So it, it's uh, we, you know it'll be an ongoing discussion. It'll continue. And again, we're going to talk here in just a minute about Linux Fest Northwest. So if you have comments or thoughts on encryption, again, eight fifty five four fifty Noah live at asknoahshow dot com or come uh, see us live at Linux Fest. I want to go back to the phone because this guy is calling from uh, British Columbia. Greg, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi Noah, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. How can we help you? You had a caller. You had a caller earlier who was looking to read a, an Apple partition drive on his Linux computer. Yes. And I think that there might be something that he could use called uh, Refind. If you okay. go to rodsbooks.com/refind. Okay. Uh, refined. I'm familiar, I'm familiar is, with refind uh, being a bootloader. Yeah, you can load drivers into refind oh, before okay. you uh, pass it off to your Linux partition, and you might be able to load a, a driver into refind I that reads the Apple partition drive. Yeah. Okay. Now let me ask you this. I have two questions. Maybe this is maybe I, I maybe I jump beyond the technical expertise of you both. So the first question is obviously it's, it's this presupposes that we are talking about Apple hardware to begin with, right? Like we have Refined on a MacBook, and you have two partitions: one's a Linux, one's an Apple. So this wouldn't be applicable if you were trying to pull a hard drive out of an Apple computer and plug it into I don't, my. I don't, I don't know, why not? Refine's well, Refined. Because it's just the x86. So maybe yeah, I think if you, I think if you load the driver into into refind and then boot your linux partition you might be able to read that uh that slave disk that you've plugged into your linux computer okay so here's my second and question I, go ahead 
Well, my second question is... Oh, uh, if you, you have, wouldn't be able to... My second question is, if you, you have a to... Linux kernel on, if you, have a, if you have a kernel inside of Refined, and that system boots up, and then it it calls you know Linux and says, okay, go ahead and boot Linux, does it not hand off the kernel, so wouldn't the driver for the file system have to be loaded inside of the Linux kernel because the kernel for Refined would, would be unloaded at the time of boot? You're above my pay grade there. Yeah, I haven't tried this. I haven't tried this on on a a computer yet, but uh, I do believe if you if you load the the HPF driver into Refind and then boot into Linux, I think Linux would be able to read that partition. Wouldn't be able to unlock a password protection. Okay. Okay. Well. But I all right. Think, well. Well, that's good advice, Greg, and yeah. I appreciate the call. And, and that's a hope, great idea. Yeah, and so uh, I'll, uh, I'll we'll have a link to Refind in the show notes. So if anybody there wants to uh, wants to check that out, and if anybody there can tell me uh, if you've ever tried that and that works, I'd love to know because uh, that seems like that would be an interesting. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow, man, this is this decent project has yeah. yeah, it's, it's really, a decent project. It's it, definitely worth checking out, especially if you've been uh, toying around the idea with doing like some sort of crazy multi-boot MacBook setup or even non-MacBook. Uh, but this is how some folks are doing Mac OS Boot Camp and GNU slash Linux on, uh, like I say, a MacBook. Is using a tool like this, and then it gives you a UI to choose, but it doesn't have to be Mac hardware. Did you ever see my underground uh, video of me installing Refine on a MacBook? Uh, it sounds like it's familiar, but... They, they literally had to... It sounds like a nightmare I've had. Well, yeah, they, they literally had to put me in handcuffs in a prison uniform and drag me in front of a camera to That's do it. That's more like a fantasy I had. It's oh. <laughs> <laughs> a family-friendly show. So we'll leave that to your imagination. Yeah, yeah. Again, phones one 855 450 That's 855-450-6624. Or send an email to live at com. Coming up this weekend, Linux Fest Northwest. We are going to have a booth that we have set up, and it is going to be absolutely amazing. I, I don't have, I don't you know. You full maniac. Well, really, what it amount, amounted to is we have done Linux on a budget, and we have done Linux production on a budget, and this year we wanted to try something a little different. What we wanted to try, <laughs> go crazy, was was to do Linux at, at the same scale that you would do any other broadcast solution. in a broadcast industry. Yeah, right. And so what you find is that. Uh, even still, you know, I would say honestly, even still, even with all of the things that we are setting up and bringing out, and and it's like you said, it's going to be more of a spectacle than just the, the place that we're broadcasting from. It's going to be more of an exhibit. But even given that, I think what we found is that it's still drastically cheaper to get this done than it would be to do it on on a Mac or a Windows PC. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about our setup on Linux Unplugged. If you're curious this week, go check out Linux Unplugged 246. We talked a little bit about the hardware and the advantages of having a general purpose PC hardware where you can load the same uh, Linux, the same desktop level applications. That is just such an obvious cost savings. Where we are investing now is in things like quality microphones and audio processing. Yeah. The, like the software level of this mm -hmm. has gotten there. Like i7 systems uh, with right. lots of RAM and good fast disk and uh, some PCI slots is really the secret recipe to having good Linux production hardware, as long as it's just well-supported hardware. Right. You know, and so so if you come out, you can take a look at all this. You can see it for yourself, and it'll really answer the question. If you've ever wondered, those guys really do everything on Linux they claim they do. Like, they're, they're always, they talk a good game, but do they, you know, do they walk the walk? You can come out and see it firsthand with your own eyes. It'll be in Bellingham, Washington. I think it's the, let's see, the 27th, 28th, and 29th. It's just coming up. Uh, yeah, this 
this weekend. And so we're going to be there. The Ask Noah Show will be live 2 p.m. on Saturday, I think either following or preceded by our friends Linux Unplugged. Uh, in fact, the network, my understanding is that most of the shows are going to be. A lot of them, or at least chunks. You know, we're going to do yeah. some specials because Alan Jude's going to be there. So we're going to grab him and make him sit down on the microphone for a bit, tear him away from the BSD people and have him sure. uh, join us. Uh, yeah. And I think I think I would say the challenge that we have is we believe we can do a production that's higher quality than you can do on commercial operating systems with commercial broadcast software. Right. Using Linux and open source software. Mm -hmm. That's the bar we've set ourselves with, for. And this year. We're now we're now matching that with production level hardware on mm -hmm. the like the all of the audio and gear side. That's the big takeaway. You know, it's interesting, and you uh, you you you'll never take credit, and I don't have a way to mute you, so I but uh, so that you can't argue with me on this. But the the thing is, like, what you have accomplished here, and every time I come here, I'm continually impressed. Who me? Yeah, at the fact that you have you you have taken Linux to a level that I think nobody else really thought it could exist at, and then you have you've stepped into it and you've led by example. Right, so it's one of those things that when I come in here and I start seeing things, because I consider myself a pretty involved desktop Linux user, right? And so there are not a lot of people that I meet that teach me something about day-to-day -day using Linux. And I'm here for 10 minutes, and you're like, oh, by the way, did you know that you could make this change to Linux desktop? You could add this bar, you could make this tweak. This would be a little bit easier, and it's stuff. It just becomes very obvious to me that you're one of two things are possible. Either one, you just have way too much free time on your hands, and so you play with all of this <laughs> oh, stuff to ad nauseum. Okay, and that seems not very likely given your given your daily schedule uh, or the second thing is is that you actually use this stuff day in and day out and you live on this stuff and so you become you know very cognizant of the capabilities and, and what this stuff does and so it's yeah. it's it's enlightening and it's fun for me well i think the cool part about it is podcasting is getting big these days and we're here jupiter broadcasting here is to say you can do it on free and open source software right and the advantage to that is when you learn something or when you exemplify something everybody can use it right yeah. because there are a lot of people that get very frustrated uh if you go to a large production facility and you start looking around you're like oh how do you do this and they're like oh it's it's really great this is really great yep. stuff oh yeah yeah it's only it's only seven thousand dollars to have all of this and, and which is great because our budget was uh was about a hundred thousand so to be able to undercut by 30 percent that was i mean we really saved a lot of money <laughs> and, you know, i'm going like i got twelve hundred bucks <laughs> It's just what they're, it's just how it exactly. goes. But you know, and so and so to have all of this stuff available, and then being able to share it, and say, yeah, you too can do some of this stuff. Uh, coming up, um, uh, coming up, I think it's uh, next week or the week after. We have uh, a gentleman from um, the uh, Mail in a Box project, and he's going to show you how to set up a mail server on your own system. Now, this is not something that I personally recommend, and I know that it's not something you would suggest for somebody to do themselves, but it is something that we have gotten over and over and over again. And then shortly after that, a couple weeks after that, we are having a gentleman that's coming on from the... Um, the RD Airplay, uh, oh, cool. uh, the um, yeah, the, the the radio automation software yeah. called Rivendell, and um, and so they have created from ground from 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 bottom to top um, software specifically designed Super production neat. facilities. Mm -hmm. And what what was interesting about this guy and about the software is every time I turn around, I start doing shows from radio stations, and I kept seeing these His old stuff. Ubuntu boxes or these old mm -hmm. CentOS boxes running the exact same piece of software. Mm -hmm. So I started asking, why do you guys use this stuff? And I I actually got told by a program director, Chris, he told me. He said, I asked him if I could plug my laptop in. He goes, no, 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 no. You have to use our Linux system because uh, we don't trust the other. We don't trust the Mac and Windows stuff on the air. That was it's music not, to your ears. It's not allowed to be played. And I'm like, but I'm running Linux. <laughs> you know, I like, have to use your Linux yeah, system? Yeah. No, they wanted you. They don't call it that, right? Well, they, before they, we go, let me say thank you for all the hard work. You've been working like crazy. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. It's been great really having you here, Noah, because we have accomplished some really good stuff. Ed, you guys. 
You should not. You 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 think you have an idea of how hard this guy works? You have no idea how hard he works behind <laughs> the scenes. He's a machine. It's passion. That's and that's what I always tell people on the show. This is why nobody will ever beat me at at, at Alta Speed Technologies because <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah. The the reality is you can't you can't sh- expect to show up eight to five and do what I do yeah. and be as successful you as me. You gotta love it. You have to live it. You gotta live it. And so I come here and it's just like I'm just gonna continue to do the same things I was doing. And it's funny, like we started doing this thing with the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. And it's like okay, you. You know what? Uh, this is something that I set up back in my studio, and now I'm setting it up for you. Awesome. Thanks for joining me. Did you know the show is available as a downloadable podcast? To subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. There you'll find not only the latest episode, but all of the articles and material referenced in this episode. You can get the latest, of course, by following us on Twitter at AskNoahShow. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Huge thanks to Vox Telsis for providing our phone systems. Ben, our producer, and Sarah, our call screener. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content for you available 24-7 at asknoahshow.com. <laughs>